Well, as I said, I've just arrived from Australia and you probably know that we, until a couple of days ago, were in the midst of the worst drought and the most horrific bushfires that have ever been had since records were kept. I'm told by my daughter this morning that the air quality in Sydney is still so poor that many people are still confined to staying indoors. Um, there are people that are still isolated because access roads are cut off. There are still people that are suffering from spoiled food and not able to even make social media contact because of power failures. And with all of that, it's nothing compared to those who are living with the ongoing nightly fears that come with having been hastily evacuated, fearing when that happened that they might have been burnt alive. Or those who have to deal with losing their property and lifetimes of memories, and also those who lost loved ones. There are about 20 volunteer firefighters who kissed their wives and children goodbye when there were still Christmas presents under the trees, or a few days later with still the plans for the new year, and they never came back as their vehicles were burnt. It's horrific what has happened there. And all of this is terrible, but I don't want to dwell on that with you this morning. But I also, in not dwelling on it, don't want to for a minute dismiss the agony that people are experiencing. But I do want to explore why so many of us never in our wildest imaginations ever thought that this would occur. Because now our newspapers are saying that we should have all seen it coming. It was obvious that the fires were going to occur. And it seems like every group, no matter which group you've got in Australia, is blaming other groups for not acting and not doing anything about it. And so I want to step back and ask the question, why didn't we pay attention to this impending disaster? And there are so many reasons, so many reasons for not paying attention. And all sorts of reasons why you wouldn't fear, feel the urgency of the possibility of the bushfires. Things like, there are so many other things going on to focus off. And after all, we're in December and it was Christmas that was about to come and all the things are associated with Christmas. Or some of us thought that if a fire starts, someone else will arrange to put it out. That's why we have bushfire brigades. That's what always happened in the past. Or sometimes people feel it will affect other people but not me. But now every Australian is paying attention. And what did it take to make us pay attention? What did it take to make me pay attention? It took the reality of the urgency and the magnitude and the extent of the fires and especially that the fires are actually going to have an influence on me that made me wake up. And in our waking up, we are starting to turn to the experts. But we are not turning to just any and every expert because we know experts have their vested interests, have their positions, they have their outcomes that they want to see achieved. And so we are starting to turn to experts who are trusted who have shown that they are committed to solving the problem and in their commitment to solve the problem they're actually able to do something about it. And so now we Australians are listening to our experts. Now that was a long introduction. We are in KL 
And I suppose for many of you, the bushfires are just news. But today I do want to talk to you about something that is no less urgent for you as the bushfires are to Australians. And that is the thing I want to talk to you about is your souls and where you will spend eternity. And yet as I prepared this talk, I feared that like Australians six months ago, you wouldn't be paying attention to the urgency because there are so many other important things that have greater impact on us. Now, I want to tell you this morning of the expert, just as Australians are turning to the experts, I want to speak to you of the expert who is Jesus Christ, who has your best interest at heart, who can solve your problems and solve the problems in a way that we can't even begin to understand. Now, I know because I heard from Mike earlier that here at St Mary's you've been working through the opening chapters of Mark's Gospel and reading these events that occurred 2,000 years ago, events that changed not only the world over these last 2,000 years, but actually also changes and is your and my only hope. So this is the record of Jesus' life and ministry, Mark's Gospel. It's a period of three to four years from about 30 to 33 AD. It took place in Israel amongst the Jewish people, people whose history was entirely shaped by the fact that God, God, the God of the whole universe, had chosen them to be in special relationship with him. And though he was unseen most of the time, God was close to them, he spoke to them, he led them, he gave them victory, he punished them for their disobedience. And then God spoke his last words more than 400 years before Mark chapter 1. God spoke and then there was silence. And for generation after generation, the people who were used to having the voice of God delivered to them through the prophets heard Nothing. The last words that were uttered in the Old Testament were that God himself would come and turn the world upside down and everything would be set right. That reading we had from Isaiah chapter 35 where the day would come when God would come and the lame would leap and the dead would rise and the deaf would hear. That's what they were waiting for. And they waited expectantly and waited expectantly and waited decade after decade, century after century for the 400 years. And then came Jesus. And it seemed at last all the waiting was over. In this passage in Mark's Gospel, you can actually see that it's signalled by the word immediately. We won't go through it now, but in chapter 1, verse 12, verse 18, verse 20, verse 21, verse 23, verse 29, verse 42, chapter 2, verse 8, verse 12, the word immediately, 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 immediately appears all the times because the years of nothing happening have now been replaced by action. It's like the bushfires have struck. And they are everywhere. And you could imagine the excitement of the people of Jesus' day. Finally, finally, God is doing something. And the people's hopes and expectations were confirmed. Jesus, in, earlier in chapter 1, is baptised in the Jordan River. And as he goes down into the waters of baptism, the heavens open and a voice from heaven speaks, You are my beloved son, I am well pleased with you. And then the action moves to a synagogue, a sort of Jewish church. 
and a man with an unclean spirit is there. Now I'm not sure what an unclean spirit looks like, but it was scary and it was supernatural. And with a word from Jesus, that man began convulsing. The spirit cried out, that evil spirit cried out and left the man. And then Simon, one of Jesus' disciples, Simon's mother-in-law is sick with a fever and she's sick in bed. In those days when you had no hospital and no medication, you know what going to lie in bed sick meant, didn't you? You were going to die. And Jesus takes her hand and the fever left her. And then before our passage it was just read, the sick and the demon possessed were all brought to Jesus and he healed them. I am sure that all these people thought that they knew what they needed and what they wanted. They had seen these miracles and they thought now everything we need is going to be answered in Jesus. They wanted their specific ailments fixed. If they had a sickness, they wanted healing from the disease. If it was demon possession, they wanted release from it. But it seems that none of them stopped to ask, what is our real problem? What is our real need? And so because they didn't ask that question, the solution that they were looking for wasn't the one that Jesus offered. And so nor would they get all the benefits that flow from what Jesus came to do. And so you see that as Paul Barker's passage that he took you through last week closes, verses 37 to 39. We're almost onto our passage, and I'll speed up a bit. Verse 37. They found Jesus and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go out into the next town that I might preach there also. For that's why I came out. And he went throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. See what's going on here in verses 37? All the people want amazing restorations. They want people fixed up. And Jesus does do that. But what he came to do was something far more important than just fix up these things. He came to preach. So the question is, what is so special about preaching? Why is preaching more important than doing all of these miracles? And that's what we're going to try and answer this morning. We're just going to look at these three stories that were read to us. A man with leprosy who is cleansed, a paralysed man who's enabled to walk, and a tax collector who becomes a follower of Jesus. So the first incident, the man with leprosy made clean. You're probably the same as me, that I am constantly bombarded by texts, by emails, by phone calls from people wanting to give me solutions to life's problems. Does that happen to you? Non-stop, there's a thing called junk in my computer which is getting very, very full. And they're trying to give me solutions to problems I didn't even know I had. And they make all sorts of promises, but I always want to ask the question, what's in it for them? Because they're actually not acting for my best interest, but their own. And what sort of results will they be able to deliver? Because I want to trust somebody who's in it for my benefit, who's on my side, and who can improve my situation. Now, let's think that way about these interactions that Jesus has, and particularly this man with leprosy. Before we, I read it to you again, leprosy is still in our world today, but it was widespread in Jesus' day. 
It was a word, the word leprosy, that was used for a wide range of infectious skin diseases. The disease was widespread because in those days there were no antibiotics, no antiseptics, there was poor infection control in the first century. And so if you developed one of these diseases, what happened was you had to be isolated from the rest of the community. Because if you had this infectious skin disease and you came near and touched another person, you knew it was going to happen, wasn't you? The other person would get it and then it would just go everywhere. And so those who had leprosy were destined to a life of misery. What they had to do, as soon as the spots arose on your body, you'd be cast out of the town. You wouldn't have nurses or anything like that there because those people would get sick as well. So you were only with other people that had infectious skin diseases, outcasts from society, no one to help you on the edge of society. And so what do you do in that sort of situation? Let's pick it up from verse 40. And a leper came to Jesus, imploring him and kneeling, and he said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. This event is jaw-droppingly Amazing. Let's just spend a moment looking at it. The leper broke with convention because people with leprosy had to call out when they saw somebody in front of them, unclean, 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 to warn other people that they, that they had leprosy so that the other people would flee from them so they would not come near them. But not this leper. What does he do? He breaks with the convention and he comes straight to Jesus because he saw in Jesus his only hope. And Jesus' response, get away! No. Moved with pity. Not moved by what's in it for me. Moved with pity. Here you see the heart of Jesus exposed. You see pity and compassion and kindness. You see the one who sympathises with people who are in trouble. And then Jesus breaks with convention. He stretched out his hand and he touched the leper. You know what that means, don't you? A clean person touching an unclean person makes the clean person unclean. But not with Jesus. Jesus touches the man with leprosy and he says, Be clean. And immediately the leprosy leaves the man. You see, it is not a matter of the clean being made unclean, which is the natural way with infections, but the clean making the unclean person well. This is impossible. Can you imagine the immensity of the cleanness that Jesus must have to be able to do that? And imagine having been there, first of all being shocked that Jesus touches the unclean man, and then seeing those pock marks and skin blemishes disappear in seconds. 
What an extraordinary thing Jesus has done. But he doesn't use this amazing miracle to big note himself or to get advantage from it. He tells the man who used to have leprosy, tell no one. Just go and show now to the priest that you're clean so that you can be restored to a normal life. But of course, that's impossible. The family would have asked, the neighbours would have asked, everybody full of excitement, what happened to you? How did you become clean? And of course he would have said, Jesus healed me. And so the crowds around Jesus grew ever larger, so they had to stay out of the towns. So before we move on to the second event, notice what motivates Jesus. Compassion. On Thursday, I took a quick tour around KL, and of course they took me to the temples and the other places of worship here. What I saw in those places were people who were offering things to their deities, offering sticks of incense, offering fruit, offering their sacrifices. And then you see Jesus who gives and gives at such great danger and cost to himself. See, notice what matters about this leper is not just the fantastic cure, but the man is made clean, is restored to right relationship. The man would have been delighted with what his skin looked like, but Jesus is more concerned that the man becomes clean. And then the next event, Jesus returned to his town of Capernaum. That's on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. It really was his home base. And as I read it, think about the astonishment of this event. Verses two, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they couldn't get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they'd made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easy to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk? but that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before all of them, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. If you were there on that day, this is the sort of thing you would tell your children about. There's a huge crowd at the house and in that house the dust starts falling on the crowd and the paralysed men's friends dig that hole in the roof and lower their friend down. You would have certainly been telling your friends about that, wouldn't you? My mother was paralysed from a stroke for the last 20 years of her life. And it was so demoralising for her, going from being an absolutely independent woman to having to rely on other people to even move her the shortest of distance. 
and this paralysed man was in the same situation. He needed friends to help him. And like the leper, they broke with convention, they broke the roof and they let the man down. Anything, they would do anything in order to enable him to walk again. And the man who couldn't move himself after just a few words from Jesus, not even a touch from Jesus, but just a few words, stood up on those legs and used muscles that would have wasted away from a lack of use and balanced his body as he walked that he had never had time to practice and he picked up his bed and walked away. Could you imagine the open mouths that the people must have had as they saw that paralysed man leave? But let's have a look more closely at what's going on. Jesus came back to Capernaum, the crowds gathered, and what's Jesus doing? He's not doing what the crowds, crowds are expecting, that is miracle after miracle after miracle. Verse 2, he is preaching the word to them. What Jesus knew and what we need to learn about what is most urgent and what is most important is not the miraculous, but knowing the truth. And so we need to listen out for what was it that he was preaching, because that was even more important than seeing this paralysed man walk again. And as the man on the bed was lowered down, I am sure the crowds were thinking, another miracle is about to occur. And they weren't disappointed. But hear what Jesus says as the man is lowered down. He says, your sins are forgiven. The concern of Jesus, the important and the urgent need that this man has, is not his need to walk, but that he is out of relationship with God. Out of relationship, out of relationship. Broken relationships show up in all sorts of ways. You've probably been in some and seen some of them. Broken relationships have harsh words, have evil intentions and desires from the other party. And in this case, a broken relationship with God gives us the world that we inhabit, where creation is twisted, where there is pain and hurt and mistreatment and sickness and paralysis. And Jesus goes to the heart of the matter, not just letting him walk again, but to the heart of the matter. Your sins are forgiven for your relationship is broken. And because the sins are forgiven, this little part of the broken universe is restored and made straight so the man gets up and walks. Oh, to be there. Wouldn't it have been great to have seen that? I would have loved to have seen it. But there were some there who weren't happy, some who didn't rejoice. You, you've got to think, how could they not rejoice? This man who couldn't walk, now carrying his mat and walking again. But some of them, the scribes, have this disposition against God. And they say, only God can forgive sin. This man is doing the wrong thing. Well, maybe it is God who is forgiving sins. And now you see what Jesus must have been preaching. If you, if you keep you awake, go over to verse 10, because I just want to spend a moment with you on verse 10, for here you see the content of his preaching. He says, your sins are forgiven. And then in verse 10, that you may know. Here is something very important to know. 
You might have been ignorant before, but now something important is going to be revealed and what is important and going to be revealed is trustworthy. But that you might know the Son of Man. It's a strange few words, but Son of Man is Jesus' name for himself. And so Jesus said that you might know something important about me. So let's read on. But that you might know the Son of Man has authority. Well, we already know that this man has power. He has power to heal the leper. He has power to restore the paralysed man. But he says authority for something greater. So let's read on. That you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. The broken relationship between God and man that shows up in so many, so many different ways, Jesus has authority to fix. That is what he must have been preaching to the crowds. And he proved that he has this authority by fixing this man's twisted relationship with God and by showing it by fixing his twisted body. My mother would have given anything to walk again, but she never did. But what turned out to be the Christmas before she died, she was talking with me and she said she knew that her sins were forgiven and that she would go to heaven because Jesus died for her to forgive her sins. She had been given something so much better than her walking, something much more important. That is the forgiveness of sins. That's what Jesus was preaching. And then finally, the third event occurs by the sea, not in the town, because there's such great crowds, and even though he's not in the town, the crowds still gather, and Jesus is still teaching them. But in all of the crowds, there is one person who took Jesus' attention, a tax collector named Levi. And in the way that Jesus treated Levi, he continues to teach. Now, you need to know that tax collectors were the most hated of people. I was going to say a tax collector is like in our modern day, like drug dealers. Drug dealers who destroy people's lives for their own gain, but they're actually much worse than that. It doesn't capture it because the tax collectors were Jews, but they sold out their own people to the Roman oppressors. You see, the Romans would collect tax through the tax collectors and the tax collectors would use the big, hulky Roman guards to make sure people paid their taxes. And what they would do is the tax collectors would skim off the money for themselves and give the rest to the Romans. And so you've got your own people taking money from you at exorbitant rates to make themselves rich and giving the rest to the people who are oppressing you. The tax collectors were rich, but they were deeply hated. They were the lowest of the low in the mind of the Jews. And so verses 13 to 17, let's have a look at what happens here. Another break with convention. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowds were coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table at his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, and there were many who, as there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician. 
but those who are sick do. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. What sort of reputation is Jesus making for himself? We all know the name of the game and we know how it's played. What you need to do is surround yourself with people who make you look good or upright or important or powerful. That's the way you build your LinkedIn reputation. But Jesus gets the reputation for spending time with those who are the opposite of that. And when questioned, Jesus responds that he's come not for the well, but for the sick and for the sinners. Jesus came for those who are unclean. So as I conclude, three jaw-dropping events that are inexplicable humanly that break with convention, what do they have in common? We have a great, powerful miracle worker who is not just concerned with miracles. The miracles are enough. Would be, with the miracles done would be enough for us to pay attention to. But Jesus is pointing somewhere else, something more urgent, something more important. Jesus has come to make people clean, to forgive sins, to repair sinners. We have seen the man who once had leprosy, the man who had been paralysed, and the outcast from society because of these treacherous ways restored and welcomed back into relationship with God. It is wonderful to see such power and compassion. And so what does...